Hello and what's up world? I'm your host Kareem Rahma and you're listening to You People, a conversational podcast series sharing real stories from the diverse voices shaping modern America today. We are recording live from Los Angeles. Actually, it's not really live at XCR, a premium nonfiction film and television studio in Echo Park. You People is produced by Hyphen Media, an entertainment company focused on telling colorful stories. I'm really excited to introduce you to Kasser Mohammed, a Pakistani Bengali American actress, writer, and comedian. Kasser got a start in the entertainment and theater industry at a really early age and has been keeping busy ever since. She plays serious lead in Paul Feig's dramedy East of La Brea, a show about two Muslim American 20-somethings navigating their changing L.A. landscape and has also worked alongside Taraji P. Henson on the highly anticipated film What Men Want, Issa Rae on Little, and has additional credits on shows like Silicon Valley, Black Lightning, and Nobodies. She also trains and performs improv and sketch at UCB and Groundlings and is on an all-South Asian sketch comedy team, The Get Brown, that performs regularly at UCB Theater. She's also the co-founder of Shift, a diversity, inclusion, and sexual harassment prevention company. So happy to have you here, Custer. So excited to be here. How are you? I'm I'm chilling. I've, I'm feeling like December vibes. Which is a, a chill Which is vibe? like, get me out of here. Oh, get me out of LA? <laughs> get me out of LA. Or get me vibes. out of the universe. No, just, just LA. Just LA. Yeah. Where would you rather go? I'm going to uh, Cuba next week. Oh, yeah. Very yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever, ever been there? I haven't. Have you? No. Yeah. I'm very excited. But also it's like that like time of the year where like like the whole industry is about to shut down like on like slash, well, tomorrow. Right, right. <laughs> so it's like, what well, can I get in before then? Oh, yeah. my resolution. They didn't happen. You got to grind. Yeah, That's I got to finish. One day left. One day <laughs> left to finish all my resolutions. One day left of 2020 or one day left of 2019. What are you going to do? Yeah, exactly. What, is that a real question or is that no, rhetorical? No, 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 no. Rhetorical. Oh. I just want you to chill. Okay. It's time Ooh, for chilling. Um, That's got me sweating. I don't know what to say. Well, I think you'll have something to say about my first question. Okay. Which happens to be about your unpopular opinion. Mm, uh, oh. But it's not, I'm not, I'm actually just more curious about it. I'm not offended by it. I think it's very interesting. That's what people always say. They say very interesting when they don't like what you no, have to no, no. say. This, this is not true because I understand. I can empathize with your position and your unpopular opinion is you don't really like dogs. It's true. What, what's, it's true. What, what does that mean? You're like you don't like because I would say I don't really like dogs in my house because they shed and they're like kind of dirty. But I do like the idea of dogs, and I also would have a dog that's like hypoallergenic and has hair instead of fur mm-hmm. because then it's just like another person, kind of a dirty little person. Yeah, a dirty person <laughs> who can't pee properly and like has to go outside and pee. In tinkles, right? They don't pee at one time. That's part of the hate. They're just tinklers. They're tinklers. Consistent tinklers. Is that real? I don't actually know. I feel like my dog, like I used to have a dog and I feel like it just like pissed. Oh. Like a normal. Oh, that's such a good. Maybe little dogs tinkle. I mean, is it a little dog thing? I think a little dog. Maybe it's a little dog thing. I've only known little dogs in my life. And man, it's like you got to walk them for like 10 minutes. Yeah. What should take like 60 seconds. Their bladders aren't that big. They have stage fright. It's like (laughs) if there was urinals, they might be able to do it. But like imagine just peeing in front of everyone all the time. Yeah, I guess I'm judging them. I wouldn't want to do that either. Is it a cleanliness thing (laughs) or is it like just like were you bit by a dog when you were young like what's the deal so definitely not scared of them like i'm just like what like you know like but okay 
I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm very much a cat person. And it's like they run up to me and they want to give me all this love. But I didn't ask for the love. And like, you, like they're too needy, always following me around. But they're also unloyal because like, you know, you dogs could like, are unloyal. Yes. I mean, you could like, you know, like give so much love to a dog. And then like two seconds later, it'll go away and start loving the next person who's feeding no, them. No, that is cats. You're literally, that no, is literally cats. Not at all. Your not dog, at all. Your dog's explaining to me. Listen. That, that is <laughs> That is cats. Cats do that. Dogs are like, I miss my owner. Like you leave the house and it and it's just waiting for you. But it's also just waiting for any other owner. True. You know, like, oh, whoever's going to come and like rub my <laughs> belly. I'm here for it. You know, which but it is not a nice thing that there's this. Un, it's like you're just purchasing an unlimited voucher of like love and adoration. But what if you don't ask for the love and the adoration? You know, like I don't need somebody following me around <laughs> when I come inside the home. Right. I can see it. Cats right. are more. Do you have a cat? No, but I would love to have a cat. I would love to have a cat yeah. as well. I would love to have. I would. I would take a cat and a dog. I kind of. Oh. Like both. Oh, have you seen um that one show? Very serious show. A cat dog. With the uh, hybrid. Yeah. It's like that's yeah. one side is a cat. Yeah. Would you ever want that? No. <laughs> but speaking of which, the Chinese have recently developed a monkey pig. Have you oh, heard about that? No. I like read a headline where it's like. They're really doing that. Wow. It's like, it's like a pig. I think it looks like a pig, but it has monkey genes in it. Oh. Kind of fucked up. <laughs> yeah, wait, no, that's very Jurassic Park. I'm not Like, into what's it. next? I, so, I, I, you know, I don't want a hybrid. <laughs> I, I'll just, I'll have a cat and a dog, but yeah. I don't want a cat dog. You don't want a punky? I don't want a punky. I don't yeah. want a cat dog. I don't want like a, like, what else could we make? Like, Well, there's ligers. Ligers. That's a thing. That is a thing. And you know what else is interesting is that this is a real thing is like a mule is actually a horse and a donkey. Holy shit. Yeah. It's like, can I you, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, can, you can't make a mule. You're right. Unless you breed a donkey and a horse. So like <laughs> in some cases it actually does work, yeah. but like who wants a mule? They're good for, Ooh, Oh, they're good for work purposes. But aren't donkeys good for work purposes or horses for that? That's like, why don't you just have one of those? <laughs> why, why breed them? Why, why the mule? Humans are sick, sick creatures. I, it's just, I think it's a power thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, like, let me see what I can make. Let me see what I can make. I'm yeah. God. Yeah. A snail and a toad, you know? Sick fox. Yeah. A snail and a toad? A snowed. That would be cute. Yeah. I think it'd be cute. I would take a snowed. Yeah. Just don't bring salt around it. Cause it would die immediately. Yeah. yeah. So you grew up in San Jose. Yes. Let's just skip now. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's skip. Let's, let's that's the there. weird shit. <laughs> so you grew up in San Jose. Yes. I've never been there. Ah. I actually don't know where it is. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. It's basically, I usually say like Bay Area. Okay. So it's like a like an hour south of San Francisco and Oakland. Cool. Is that's there a pretty big city. Is there a big South Asian community there? Yo. Yes. And no. Okay, so where, so San Jose is like pretty big. So where I lived, where I kind of went up until middle school, wasn't a big South Asian community. And then I moved to kind of this up and coming area in like more east side, San Jose, South San Jose, that was called like Evergreen. And then that was a huge South Asian and, and Asian, specifically like Vietnamese and Filipino and Indian community. So did you feel not so different when you were growing up or did you still feel like this like I am a little bit different than everyone else yeah well up until middle school which was like pretty much like a Latinx neighborhood I was like one of the two Indians there that's not a lot not a lot there was like a couple other Indian 
Indian folks there. So there was that kind of sense of other. And then when I went to my high school and my middle school, there was like five white kids and it was pretty diverse. And I feel very lucky that it was diverse. Like there was just a lot of different folks. And were people pretty accepting or were, were there yeah. bullies and I mean, pe- assholes? People were, I mean, so I think there's always that element of like having come from where I came from. I was kind of bullied and that sort of thing for being South Asian. So moving into middle school and high school, I kind of came in with this sort of like, I, I have to be different, like the self-hate of being South Asian and was like mad appropriative of very much like black culture and just like really, but it was my survival mechanism. Right, of course. And so I wanted to be kind of like the one South Asian who wasn't like the other South Asians. Right. So my thing was like, like having rap battles, like in, in in middle school, like quad or, you know, like, like that sort of thing. Yeah. 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 Were, did you have sibling? Do you have siblings? Yeah, two older siblings. Did they choose the same path <laughs> or, what did, or did they like say like, okay, we're going to be the white South Asians? Well, they actually, so they had really similar upbringings too. And I'm so close to my sisters and so much of what they did also like very much influenced me in terms of like music taste and, and, and that sort of thing. So they went to, while I moved out of that sort of like we changed homes. So I went to a different type of middle school district. They went to another district, but also like that was, that was what they know. And it's still what we know. I mean, there's, there's yeah. a certain sense of like authenticity of like, that is what we grew up on and who we are. Right. But yeah. So no, none of the whiteness. Yeah. I, I went the other direction oh. where, where I was like, I'm just going to be white. Uh, that's real. Right. <laughs> I was right. like, I was like straightening my hair, sp- little <laughs> spikes. I had spikes. Really wanted a bowl cut, but that was not going to happen. The spikes. Who said happen. no to the oh the bowl? <laughs> it's just it's just impossible, you know. Like with the spikes, I could gel my hair. I would straighten it, process it, whatever a hair straightener or like the chemical stuff, which I is called dark and lovely. Mm. Got my hands got my hands on a box of that. That's so good. And then the gel would spike it, and so I could blend in that way. But the bowl cut never right happened. never right, happened. right right. It was impossible. You know, there's a thing called unfair and uh, no, there's a thing called fair and lovely, right? What is that the same? Like, so what does this do? Fair and Lovely is like this cream. I know they totally have it in like South Asia and like Pakistan and India. I think they have the other iterations of it in other countries too, like the same brand, but it's a whitening cream. It's for your face. Yeah. To literally look white. It's to Michael Jackson eyes. Michael Jackson eyes. But low key, like when I was younger, it was like a common household item. So I put it on, but wow. I didn't really like, you don't think much about it. It's just right. like, oh yeah, like we should be, we should, to be beautiful, we should be lighter. So right. Well, my grandmother, I was born in Cairo, mm-hmm. Egypt, and my grandmother always from day one is like, and I'm translating to English, her Arabic was like, find yourself a nice light skinned woman. Totally. And I was totally. just, all, and I was always in my head. I was like, why? Like, that's weird. Right. Like, I didn't actually get it. But like the definition of beauty in a lot of these culture is like to hate. The, your dark skin. And I guess that's kind of a thing in America too. Absolutely. Like, I mean, colorism too, right? Yeah. Like even amongst ourselves, like who's allowed to look white, who's allowed to assimilate into whiteness, who's allowed, who's, you know, only affiliated with blackness, like the colorism very of it. Very unfortunate circumstances. Mm-hmm. And so your first experience of racism, which I thought was so funny because it, you said it was pre 9 11. Yeah. Some kid in kindergarten on the track field. Right? It was on yeah, the, totally, totally. Call, called you a terrorist. This is pre 9 11. Yeah. Like, where the hell did this I kid know. learn that? I remember just being like, 
what? Like, what is that? So I was, I think I was like on the track with my, like my friend and we were about to run or something. And then some guy didn't like that. We wanted to go next. And so he was like terrorist. And I was like, what? And then my friend next to me freaked out. I don't, I don't remember. I think she wasn't South Asian, but I remember being like, we have to go tell the teacher. And I was like, okay. <laughs> like I had no understanding of the word. And I, I didn't either. Yeah. And this was like, I mean, for me, I understood the affiliation. Like, I didn't know I was even Pakistani and I didn't know that Pakistani Muslim was a differentiator. I just thought I was like Indian. I thought everybody was Indian up until like 9-11 happened. Then it became, oh, like specifically Pakistan, specifically Muslim. But before then, I was like, what the fuck? And so when this kid called me that, I was like, in retrospect, I'm like, he was a smart ass kid. Like, like what what was he watching? Like Fox News? Like he's like he's like on his, his <laughs> iPhone, like reading Drudge Report, right? As a kindergartner. No, I mean his parents must have been. I mean, of, that's the sad part. His parents right. must have been extremely like Islamophobic and racist. To say that before 9/11 is like a different, <laughs> even a different version. Right. Of, that's like straight like evilness, right. you know? Like, and right. people who are racist are evil, but like after right. 9/11, you kind of like are like, okay, they're afraid. Yeah, there's yeah, a reason, yeah. but th- these people are just fucking angry. Right. Or if it's like in the sphere, you know? Yeah. But that's also like, like, I don't know, like before communism was a thing, like, you know, like calling somebody a communist, like out of nowhere, like, whoa, like <laughs> <laughs> you've been reading Marx? Like what's going on? Chill out with the communist stuff. <laughs> yeah. I ain't no communist. <laughs> yeah. um, so that's cool. So, well, that's actually not cool at all. Right. Um, but, but you know. Yeah. yeah. But is that really the only time that it really felt like, mm. like that seemed to have left a mark? It was my first recollection. Got it. It was my first recollection, but it was also something that I didn't understand, but I knew it was bad because of the way people around me were acting. Right. So I think me coming into it with like innocence of like, oh, whatever, you know, but not understanding. Yeah. I remember like. I had no idea what it meant. And yeah. then 9-11 did happen. And I still didn't know. I was like, why are people calling me a terrorist? I think that was like the international insult of any Muslim right. person is like agreed upon by whatever forces of nature were like, you know what? Let's just call them terrorists. Right, right. <laughs> or you don't even have to be Muslim or Pakistan. No. Like I think if you even just looked it, right? Yeah. So like so many folks, like the hate crimes against like Sikhs. like Sikhs. Yeah. Right. They got the blowback. Right. Sucks. Homies didn't do anything. I know. <laughs> they're being like, they're just chilling. <laughs> they got, they got, uh, what is the word? Like guilty by association. Right. But like, they're not even associating. They're just, yeah. they're just literally like brown. Exactly. <laughs> like, just a shade of brown. They did nothing. Not uh, that generally Muslims did anything, but no, you know, there's right. an associate guilty by association. Shout out to all the Sikhs. Uh, yeah, man. You know, we feel for you. Yeah. We thank you it. for standing with us. And so, so you go through high school yeah. and middle school. And then you go to college. Mm-hmm. And when you're in college, are you like, I want to be an actress? Did you know? So I was doing theater. So I think part of my defense mechanism of moving into this new school was being like, I'm not like the other South Asians, you know, like I am, I'm like funny and I'm loud and I'm disrespectful <laughs> <laughs> and I make fun of myself. The amount of self-deprecating jokes, the amount of times I started calling myself a terrorist in like comedic whatever ways in middle school was like a deflection. So I think early on comedy kind of became my assimilation tool. And I think it, I think it did great for me. It worked out. out. But no, but really looking back, it's kind of a thing that I'm like, I still have to unpack, but comedy started at a young age. And then the natural progression to that was theater 
in high school. And then I was working with this television, like local, local television show called Indie Ways Television. So we would just be giving a camera and get to go to these premieres of these like premiere screenings and just interview people. So goofiness was accessible kind of at a young age. And then when I graduated, I went to UCLA, went in undeclared because I wasn't sure if acting was actually like a feasible thing. Also, I didn't want to freak my parents out. So it took me a while, but then kind of got roped back into sketch and comedy stuff at UCLA with this group called Company that they have. It's a sketch team. I don't even know sketch existed, but I saw it for the first time and was like, that's what I want to do. That's great. Yeah. And that kind of kept me rolling. And then when I graduated, I was still unsure and did kind of both. I did like nonprofit work for three years and was doing the auditioning stuff for three years and then kind of came to a point where the acting stuff was busy enough for me to jump into it full time. Yeah, I, I was reading, I saw a quote that you had written up that you had said in something. I was just like, I just didn't think it was a viable career. I didn't see anybody doing it who looked like me. And I didn't think there was a demand. From an outsider's point of view, it was like you're either Jennifer Lawrence or you're a starving artist. There's no in between. And I had a very similar kind of understanding of it because there was there was no like Rami Malek at the time. Right. Um, there was no no one. There was just like the cast of Friends and the cast of Seinfeld. And I was like, okay, well, I have kind of good ideas, but <laughs> I'm not going to talk about them because right. I don't think anyone will get them or cares about them because right. they're just not on TV, which is such a difficult position to be in. So you kind of have to like suppress those feelings and emotions and just say like, I'll just be a businessman or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And I totally feel that. And that even makes me think of this quote from Juno Diaz, which Juno Diaz, I don't know if I should be quoting him now, but I'll say Issa Rae has quoted him. Issa Rae quoted him. And it's, it's something along the lines of that, you know, like monsters are the folks who don't have reflections, right? So like ghosts, vampires, all the boogeymen, they don't have reflections. So when we don't see ourselves reflected in media or the TV or any sort of other like books, we start thinking that we ourselves are monsters. Right. And I think I'm still kind of dealing with that. I'm still unpacking this idea of, I decided my intention for this full moon was to really put value on my own voice because, because kind of growing up, we didn't see ourselves. And then, but now it's a matter of when I see, there's always like, oh, there's one seat at the table. So if that seat is taken, is my voice still of value? Right. If there is already another Pakistani, Bengali, American person who woman who's doing their thing do I still need to be there so it's like still like so many layers of the ungrappling of valuing the I totally hear that it's like no one questions that when there's like five white people right, right. they're like I'm coming in and it's fine mm -hmm. that's good great everyone can have a seat at the table right. but definitely a reaction that I think people of color have because of just tokenism in general totally. it's like oh we already have a black cast member yeah. Okay. Well, I'll go like try something else then <laughs> because right. you guys already have checked it off the list. But I think now like the cast can look different shades of brown. You know, there Absolutely. can be multiples and the white people can still stay. Like, mm -hmm. we love you, white people. Thank you so much for, right. for so like a lot of entertainment that is, you know, developed and shaped our voices. And, right. as, and I think it's important. Like, I always think about how like if friends were remade as like a, like a very diverse cast with like a Latina American and like an Asian American and like an Arab American and like two black people and like two white people. That's too many cast members. But if it were remade, there would be so many great jokes right. just about like 
the interactions of the races and they're all best friends, which is more symbolic of the times we live in now. It's like Absolutely. nobody's friends group is just like five white people. Right. It's always like, oh, like my this friend and this friend and this friend. And a lot of the jokes and a lot of the humor in life comes from the subtle differences Absolutely. that are not racism. It's just like going to your mom's house and she's praying or something and you're just like, oh, like the sitcom <laughs> laugh right. of like, that's kind of fun. Like you can right. laugh at it in that in that regard where and when it's just an all white cast, like you can't really laugh at it and you can't even make the joke, you can't even bring it up. Right. So I think it really opens the doors for new conversations, new stories, new comedy that is better for everyone yeah. because it's more representative of the world we live in. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like Friends is such a funny example. And in the Get Brown, we talk about it a lot as we're developing our own projects, but it's almost like a group of POC friends wouldn't be greenlit on television no, because because it's normalizing us. And right. I feel like so often when we're given a space on TV or, or film or media, it's because there's a specific part of the identity that the white gaze wants to look at and like explore. But so often I feel like it's it's it's. I want to see media of us that allows us to just exist and be normal and be friends and just, hang out. and just hang out rather than talk about how my dad has forced me to go to mosque or, you know, like my arranged marriage. Right, like, right. Yeah. Like the stereotypical bullshit. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, it's like we're just as American as we are, whatever else the hyphen before yeah. it is. Right. Yeah. And so you join the company. You start like learning about sketch, writing sketch, performing comedy. And you're like, this is awesome. And then what happens next? What happens next? I think it's still like, I think I start, I remember having a specific moment in college where I was like, okay, what is the scariest thing I could do? And I remember it being like, well, shit, like it's acting. And then kind of just letting that be like, okay, well, if that's the scariest thing and the thing that excites me the most, then I, I have to do it. I have to try it. So I remember... I was debating taking like an internship or like leaning towards just kind of like being free for, for whatever agent manager audition stuff. And a mentor at the time, she said something along the lines of like, you know, like you can do all those things. Like you, like you don't have to choose. And even if you haven't seen someone do it before, like to continue the nonprofit work and, and the acting and the audition stuff, then even if you haven't seen that done, like you can be the one to do it. Right. You know? Which I think is so important because we're sometimes to do the arts where we're told like it has to be all or nothing, you know, like like if you're not giving it everything, if you're not a starving artist, if you're not broke, if you're not going after the dream, then you don't want it bad enough. Or if you're not willing to put yourself in that position, right. you don't want it bad enough, which never really like sat well with me. And I remember reading another book, too. I think it was called The Originals. But it talks about like folks and entrepreneurs and, and startup folks who take these big risks Contrary to the opinion that like risk taking like requires like not having any backing or not a plan B. Like I think it was the the starters of what's the glasses company? Warby Parker. I think it's Warby Parker. Ooh, I don't know. We don't have a fact check on this. Yeah, show, we don't so have a fact check let on it the be. Show. Let but it read be. the originals. Read the originals. <laughs> it's a certain company where, you know, they did before they took any risk, like all of them did have stable jobs before they took the risk. Right. You know, so it's like the value of pursuing what you want, but also doing it like with Backing, so I was doing that anyway. So I was doing that for three years. I was working at a nonprofit, uh, Lace After School programs, which I love and adore to this day. And they were so awesome and supportive of my work. And so I would do that part time, but then like be able to leave to my auditions and come back and or take off or shoot days and that sort of thing. Yeah, that's always a constant struggle for me where it's like I feel like I have the capacity and intelligence and enthusiasm 
to do a lot of things. And for the longest time, I tried to just like define myself as one thing. And every time I would just like imagine like putting like a little like I'm thinking like a little monster in a crate and then like two years later it just like explodes out of the <laughs> yeah. crate and then puts itself in a new crate and then explodes out of that crate. Totally. And it's just this constant like it's like you don't have to be one thing yeah. and you don't even need to define yourself. At this point, I'm like comfortable being a nebulous, non-definable entity right right where it's like oh he's a poet oh he's like a comedian oh he's a podcast host oh he's right. a businessman entrepreneur like there's no shame in just being all of them hyphen 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 mm-hmm. somebody called it it was a ted talk i forgot what the name of the person was that talked about it but they called it a multi-potentialite mm-hmm. those, <laughs> those people are multi-potentialites because yeah. they have potential in multiple different areas and it's like the doctor like basim yusuf is a pretty good example who's the egyptian uh yes kind of, he was a doctor and then started a YouTube channel in Egypt talking about the news and then is, became this international celebrity, like (laughs) friends with Jon Stewart. Like, but if he would have been like, "Uh, I'm just a doctor, can't be a personality, can't be like a TV guy. It would have never happened for him, you know? Yeah. I, funny, Blossom Yusuf story. I was in a sketch that, that he was in, that he was like doing once, but like everybody else actually really knew him and spoke Arabic. And I was like me and some other South Asian dude who got like hired as the ones to like kind of be like featured or whatever. So the jokes were coming at us, but we didn't know what anyone was talking about. And and I'm pretty sure they were just making fun of us the whole time of not being able to understand them. But it all worked out great. That's great. That's good. That's good. So the Get Brown, Mm -hmm. love that idea. How did it come about? It came about, so we were all, in this UCB space and Sean Big, uh, one of the members, I think he was, it was his kind of like Avengers assemble kind of thing. Mm-hmm. We were all used to being the token folks in our classes, in our UCB classes and teams and that sort of thing. But he kind of just put a call out and, and Sagar, is Sagar who brought me on board. We had just finished a series, a web series called Unfair and, Unfair and Ugly and just kind of brought the six of us together. That's amazing. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's so tough at any of those places. Like, Cause you just want to perform, you know, and you don't want to wait around to like find right. other people of color or, you know, like assemble a team like that. Cause it's tough to find enough people to fill the space. Absolutely. So having the patience is pretty cool. Yeah. And it's been like very, it's been like, so like empowering in so many ways. One, we're making our own content too, to be like, Oh, I'm not, my voice isn't the token voice anymore. Right. You know, like even amongst ourselves, like we have so much diversity and so many different POVs amongst ourselves. Right. And then also just like, again, like making our own shit, you know, and like from there, like we've gotten like a lot of great opportunities and continuously creating and I really love them all. How much fun is that? It's the best. It's just so much fun. I One, whenever I'm around them, I can't not talk in an Indian accent. And two, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I love that I can do that, right. you know, and also it's just, it just, we're all, we all get along very well, which is nice. Did you see the new Netflix show, Astronomy Club? Oh, yes. We're big fans. We're big fans. I haven't either, but I've seen like sketch pieces. I think I saw one of their sketches. It's so cool. Yeah. Like the UCB's first all black sketch group gets a Netflix show. And then I feel like when you have like folks of a group, like an affinity kind of group like that, like it's like you can go deeper, you know, you can go deeper and just like pull like what are the really specific things that make us laugh? And because it's so specific, it makes everybody laugh. 
And do you think white audiences will find it funny too? I think so. I think it's what Key and Peele did so well. Like just going really specific. Yeah. You have that experience. I had that experience. Let's write about it. Yeah. And and Chappelle, obviously Mm -hmm. the OG. And then Shift, the company that you Mm co-founded. Amazing mission. Thank you. And you're able to combine kind of your love for entertainment and then your love of, you know, nonprofit slash like for good work. Yeah. into this great life that you've crafted for yourself. Tell us, how did Shift start and what do you guys do? Thank you. Yeah, so Shift kind of came about, so all throughout college, it was uh, fairly active with like leading the V-Day campaign and like Vagina Monologues, producing that on campus. So sexual assault awareness and like just domestic violence awareness, something close to my heart. So leaving, so kind of Me Too happened two thousand end of 2017 and in that light, it just felt like there was such a lack of space for folks to actually talk about consent, mm-hmm. but also approach it in a way that showed systemic structures, which I feel like is absolutely lacking from discussions of consent and a sexual harassment prevention training. Like, I'm sure many people have experienced that online training where you just go through, like, should you touch this person's ass? Is that legal? <laughs> like sexual, you know, like people just don't know. Because right. it's, ne- it's never that simple, right? Like these topics of consent are so much larger. So I wanted a space to create that at that same time, my friend Valine, who we had done work at UCLA for kind of crafting there, this arts-based freshman orientation. I just emceed it. She, she large, she and the team largely led that. And then also my friend, Natalie, my best friend from middle school, just moved into town and she was working with Planned Parenthood and Agents Advancing Justice doing DNI trainings. So we're like, let's combine forces and we wanted to come at it as women of color because so often the folks that lead DNI trainings or sexual harassment prevention modules are either lawyers in suits or maybe like just folks who aren't the most marginalized speaking about mm-hmm. it. So it's important us to be us and step in those spaces. That's really cool. Um, so we've been doing that. And since then, it's been really cool. Valine leads Coachella's anti-harassment campaign that they completely just devised the, the first time this year that had like a lot of great impact in bringing down sexual assault for the reports for the end. That's amazing. That sort of thing. Yeah. So working with a lot of different companies. So that's that's incredible. And so do you feel like 100% filled now that you're able to scratch Mm. both the itches? Like, is this your ideal life? You're like, I have a company that's that's doing this work that's so meaningful and so good. And I'm fully committed to like a a life of comedy and acting. Like, do you feel like content? Like, is this, is this a good (laughs) situation at the moment? Like, what is the big pie in the sky vision? Yeah. On a good day, it's like, oh, I just shot something and now I get to meet up with my like shift ladies and create some like amazing curriculum, right? Mm -hmm. For training. That's, that'd be like a perfect day. But on a bad day, it's really hard in terms of just trying to find space for both. And I think that's where I'm at. Like not, I mean, that's so, that's the spectrum, right? So like they're really good. But then also something we talk about often is like with this business, we've created a baby. Yeah. You know? And we're literally by law in a thruple and shift is our baby and it has its own legs and it has its own feet and it's, it's growing beautifully and magnificently and, and talking and so smart. But it's kind of like looking at our business partnership and also being like, okay, what's, what's good for shift? What's good for us? And right. we're all friends too. So yeah. we do have to do a lot of negotiation and it's, it's been so extremely, I'm so grateful for how much it's, it's grown for me and how much love I have for them and for the company. It's so hard to want to do like to be ambitious is a difficult thing. <laughs> I'm serious. Like yeah. some days I wake up and I'm just like, I wish I was just like happy. Yeah, <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Actually, it's like so I wish I was just like, okay with where I'm at 
because ambition is like vision and it's big thinking. And it's like, I get jealous. I'm sometimes like, I want to shut that off. I want to just like do nothing at all. Or I want just one thing instead of five things, (laughs) you know, and like wanting all of those things at the same time. It's, it's just, for me, it's like one of those things where like, it always feels like the clock is ticking, which it is, you know, it is always ticking. And every year it's just, you know, December 12th. And I'm like, God damn it. It's December 12th already. <laughs> right. You know, and it's tough. It's tough for me to be, to, it's tough to slow it down because it's impossible. Yeah. So it always feels like there's this urgency mm-hmm. to like create or to build or to step up and, and just do all of the things. Right. That's my toughest thing. Yeah. No, I completely, that's, that's exactly, I feel like what 2019 has taught me is to, like really question. So basically the universe has a funny way of like throwing like sequential, really shitty things at me whenever I'm doing too much Mm -hmm. and to tell me like, slow down, you know, usually one of the sequential things, this always happens like every year or every other year. But like one of the sequential things is sometimes often like a car accident or like something happening to my car, my car got stolen. And so along with some other things, but basically it was a thing, a moment of my mom asked me a question and I was like, and I'm still sitting with it to this day and unpacking it. She was like, why does it feel like nothing you do is ever enough? And I was like, Oh shit, mom. I don't know. I don't know, but nothing feels like enough. And then I don't, I don't know why that is. I know. I don't know why it is either. Yeah. I mean, if we're going to go Freudian about it, it would be because of our parents. <laughs> Mom, it's your fault. <laughs> I should have just thrown that right, right back. In our right, 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 right. Um, for me, I think one of the primary reasons is that I did feel like my dad, who was a good father, you know, definitely a great father, was never, he never gave me the pat on the back. Mm-hmm. Right. So like, no matter what I did, it's like, dude, or not dude. If, he, if I called him dude, he would be fucking pissed. Yeah, yeah. Hey, dude, yeah, I actually remember him being like, don't call me dude. Uh-huh. I was like, dude, what's your problem? He's like, don't call me dude. That was kind of like an Arab Indian mixed dude, accent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I think for me, it was just like, I just wanted the fucking pat on the back mm-hmm. so badly. And I never mm-hmm. got the pat on the back. And so now I'm just always looking for a pat on the back. It's like, hey guys, look what I did. Hey guys, look what I did. Hey everyone. And like, unfortunately it's kind of easy to get the pat on the back now because like everyone has Instagram or TikTok or whatever. So it's like, I'm getting like a hundred pats on the back. Like they're meaningless pats on the back because I don't even know if people like read or even look at photos anymore. Like I find myself just like clicking like on photos (laughs) without even contextualizing them. I'm just doing it because my thumb is itching for, to give some dopamine. (laughs) Yeah. I got all the, I mean, I, I, I'm very generous with my likes. Seriously. I'm like, I will like anything. Okay, I'll make sure to follow you oh. and you got to follow me back. <laughs> well, I've already, I've and I'll give you pats on the back I, and then you give me pats on the back. I mean, why not? <laughs> yeah. It doesn't, I don't lose anything every time I give someone a like. I'm just like, I made the day marginally better. Yeah, like yeah. the tiniest amount better, but like I'm doing my part. But yeah, that's what I think my thing is. My big problem is that I'm always looking for someone to tell me I did a good job and I can't just accept it for myself that I did a good job. Mm-hmm. And I honestly, the minute I finish something, I hate it. And I'm just really? like, I hate it. It's horrible. Why? And then everyone else is like, that's so good. And I'm like, it's, it's it sucks. I don't know. Cause I don't want myself to be happy. Oh. Like I don't want, I don't actually want, you right. know, I don't know. Because don't like, know. like achieving it and it being good would take away from the drive of it. Struggle. I don't know. Like, I'm, I feel like I'm a, like Sisyphus. Who's that guy that had to push that rock up the hill oh. for eternity. Poor guy. <laughs> 
Shitty dog. Sure is swole, though. Yeah. Is he swole? Probably. I mean, probably. He's pushing a rock up a hill. A boulder. A fucking huge. Yeah. Not just a little pebble. Yeah. Like a fucking boulder. Yeah. That's what I feel like. Yeah. Might get that tattooed on my body. Yeah, Sorry. yeah. A giant. Sisyphus. It's a depressing guy. Like people, on, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm at yeah. yoga and somebody's like, cool tattoo. I'm like, you don't even fucking know. You don't know. fucking know. You, you should get know. a tramp stamp style. <laughs> what do you think? I would get a tramp stamp. Yeah. Because what goes, like the 90s are back. Yeah, the 90s are so back. So it's like, if I'm, I'm going to get a tramp stamp, yeah. I might get my belly button pierced. Ooh. Tongue piercing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can All you believe that things. people used to pierce and their tongues? A, the, the gold, yeah, frosted tips. People still pierce their tongues. Do they? I think they do. Like very weird people though. I mean. Not like 15 year olds. Like when I was 15, people were like, yeah, I'm going to get my no, tongue pierced. Right. Now it's just like a random crackhead. <laughs> like. Oh, my nose hit the mic. <laughs> one of my best friends. Okay, but that was college. I think it's different when you're in college. My, one of my best friends had her, had her tongue pierced in college. But is it cool now to have your tongue pierced in college? I just don't want to fuck with my tongue nerves. You know? I, I, don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> and I don't know if it is cool. Like are there more. Oh, people. Okay. Oh, you're right. Because it's piercing trends. Now it's piercing the, the septum. septum. Septum's cool. So the, I think the tongue piercing is equivalent to the septum. I think you're right. I think you're yeah, right. Yeah. Speaking of your parents, by the way, did mm-hmm. they were they supportive of your entertainment industry yeah, mission? Yeah, I think I snuck it on them. They knew, like, it wasn't any surprise. I'd been doing it since I was yeah. very, very young. But I think, I think, I mean, the fact that I graduated and then was kind of like having this nonprofit job at the same time allowed me to have my feet on the ground. Mm-hmm. So I think in that sense, they were like, sure, whatever. And then of course, like, I think there was some concern, but overall they've been very, my, my they've been very supportive. My sisters have been so supportive. That's the best. And I think now, but also I think it's that thing of like our parents too, like they only see Jennifer Lawrence who are starving artists. Right. So there is no, this idea of like, Oh, you can be a working actor, but not necessarily have your face on billboards. And so I think it was that understanding too. Like, where does where did the jobs come from? Where where does the money yeah. come from? Like, what's what's that cycle like? And right. I think they're slowly starting to understand it. Like, even now, I think there's like, you know, like I don't always like to tell them when something big almost happens because to them it's like, well, why didn't you get it? Call Shonda Rhimes, tell her to give oh. it to you. They don't have an accent at all. I just oh, use the accent okay. when I'm talking okay. about them. Yeah, they're not no no accent. But yeah. So were they born here? No. Uh, so how they get how they rinse well, their accents? I mean, my mom went to uh, like a English school, English boarding school, growing up. So I think her accent was like just started at a young age. And my dad has been here since he was seventeen. So oh, like, like cool. slight accent, you know, slight accent. But we just make fun of my dad for it, so he fixes it. That's so funny. <laughs> like guitar instead of guitar. Love bullying my parents about yeah. that. <laughs> See. This is this yeah. is yeah. this is your birthday. Yeah, exactly. I, what is it? What 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 is it? Yeah, what day is it, mom? Yeah, my birthday. <laughs> I love you, mom. If you're listening to this, which I know you are, my mom loves to listen to my podcast. Hi, mom. Yeah, hi, mom. I'm sorry, I cussed now. No, it's okay. She won't mind. Okay, she's cool. Okay, she's <laughs> Wait, she's a cool mom. She's a cool mom. <laughs> cool. Well, I think this is a pretty great episode. Yeah. Do you have any questions for me? No, I just want to give you a pat on the back. <sighs> It feels so good. Yeah. I mean, you coming on the show is a pat on the back. Good. Good. Feel validated. Good. You deserve all the pats on I the backs. <laughs> all right, y'all. Thank you so much for listening to you people. Make sure you keep up with Coster on Instagram at Coster the person. K-A-U-S-A-R the person. If you like this show, the one you're listening to right now, please follow us on Instagram at youpeople.podcast and subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or YouTube. 
If you like me, your host, follow at Kareem on Instagram. And if you're interested in hearing more colorful stories, follow us at hyphen media. This episode of You People is presented in partnership with Listening Party. Follow the crew on Instagram at Listening Party Presents and at Canal Street Market. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>